Well, we're back. I'm talking with Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Hall of Famer, Bob Sagerson, former teammate of mine in high school, great player and a great coach. When we left, we were talking about mentors, coaching mentors. Um, Bobby always wondered, you were so successful at the high school level. I'm sure you had college coaching opportunities. And if you did, why didn't you go for it? Well, first of all, I, I really think that sometimes that's overplayed. A, a high school coach will have a great season or a couple of a good run of two or three seasons. And right away, people start thinking, oh, he's going to go to college. Well, those college jobs are hard to get. Uh, and so there aren't as many opportunities out there. And it's got to be something that you really want to do. Mm -hmm. But I did have a couple opportunities. Um, I, I, one year, a, a local coach, uh, very close, a local college coach in Lima, lost a coach like in December and uh, their AD called me and asked me if I would take over the program. Well, I couldn't do that. And I didn't want it anyhow, to be honest with you, but I couldn't do that. Probably the best opportunity I had was at my alma mater uh, in the early nineties, St. Joe had really ascended as a powerful division two NCAA team. And, but what was happening was over a stretch of about eight years, they had, three coaches who were using them to jump. You know, that was a springboard. They were coaching for two years and then jumping two years, that type of thing. And the head of the order of priests that ran St. Joe, the Precious Blood, called me at home. And I knew him a little bit when I was at St. Joe. I, I liked him, we got along. And he was now the, you know, the big, the big, the big guy, you know. And uh, he said, we want you to come and apply for this position. And it's the early 90s, my son was in the eighth grade going into the ninth grade. So in some ways it was like a good opportunity, but I just, I just couldn't see moving my family to Rensselaer, Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it just didn't, it just, you know, it didn't appeal to me that much. And, and so, but that was an, op that was an opportunity I, I, I did not take. And when I was at Five Star, Howard Garfinkel, probably five or six times tried to talk me into interviewing onto the staff of different coaches and some of them pretty good. And you know what? I don't know whether it was a lack of ambition on my part or the fact that I had watched these guys now. I had been in, you know, in, in sitting in dorm room talking into the midnight hours with a lot of these guys. I watched what it was like to be a real assistant because that's what you did you went in and you had to you had to do your duty you came in as a third assistant sector you know, and move your move yourself up right. and it, it, it struck me that these guys were immersed in basketball 24 hours a day seven days a week 12 months out of the year i mean that's what they did and i i watched them and i, I watched a surprising number uh go through marriages and I, I it just it was never something that i really wanted to do and i knew a lot of these guys and i you know i knew them well and they had that drive that is what they wanted and you know i just didn't have that inner drive that that is what i really wanted to do i i, I liked what i was doing i liked the idea you know i was not only a coach i, I loved teaching in the classroom and then i really loved uh, when I became the director of guidance at the school, mm -hmm. uh, that that 
really appealed to my nature. And so I just didn't think 24 hours a day of basketball was what, you know, was in my heart. That's what I had to do. I, I just liked so many other features of what I was doing at the school that I, I, nothing came to me and really appealed to me to the point where I would chase it. The closest I probably came was in probably the late 90s when the coach from University of Vermont came and I was lecturing the camp and after it was over, he said, you mind if I sit down and talk to you? And I said, yeah, I'd sit down. And he, it, you know, it was a division one school, but small. Right. And he, he asked me if I would be interested in interviewing. He wasn't offering me the job, but he was, he was working me. And I remember I liked the guy and he, the way he talked about it is, you know, this is not the big time, you know, you're not going to be on the road all the time. You know, he, he painted a picture of Vermont and the basketball program is something that might be something that would appeal to me. But I thought it over and I just, I just was happy where I was. And I didn't have that sense of drive that, you know, one of the guys I knew very early in his career was John Calipari. You know, he was a big five-star guy. And I, I knew him when he was very young. And I remember after having beers with him at the ground round, which was the place everybody went to at 11 o'clock when camp was over, I remember li listening to him and saying to myself, this guy wants to be a college. He is going to be a guy. He was driven. I mean, he, and he, I liked him, but it, you could see the fire in him and the passion in him. And I had that for coaching in basketball. I just didn't have it to go to the next level. And maybe it was just a lack of ambition. I mean, I'm not trying to paint it any other way. I just that I was very happy where I was and my family was happy. And uh, so I just didn't take advantage of some of the opportunities that I had. You know, that's, to me, that's a sign of maturity. If, if you're in a place and it's a good place, the grass isn't always greener right. you know, on the other side. And, and to be able to recognize that is a real sign of wisdom, I think. So, um, and then also the, you talked about doing other things like the counseling. I'm sure that was something that meant a lot to you because you're dealing not only with your basketball players, but just your general students. And it's amazing how much guidance they need. You know, a lot of them don't get it from home. And to be able to provide that type of good guidance to them happened to be rewarding. It was. Um... You know, guidance over the course of my career, I got my master's in the early 80s and then assumed that position. Um, it, it has evolved into more of a structured um, type of job and less of sitting down with students and actually counseling, you know, and listening and that type of thing. And I regretted that because I was drawn to the counseling side of it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a Central Catholic was a very strong academic school. And, uh, we always had students uh, in each class and um, in, in some classes were just loaded with great talented students who were looking to get into select schools, competitive schools. And as a guidance director, you, know, you, you had to get them prepared for that and you had to get recommendations and you had, I mean, it, there was a real art to navigating kids into select schools and you had to get them early as sophomores and, 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 and try to get them on the right track and, try to write a recommendation that would stand out from a pile. You know, if you're in an Ivy League, you're, a, you know, an admissions counselor, you're going to read 50 or 60 
admission folders a, a day and they're all number one in their class, you know, and they're all taking, you know, they're all on 15 activities. And so what trying to present them in a light where I used to always think, well, I, I want a admission counselor to pick up that, you know, that application and go, oh, this is a little different. So you, you're always looking for angles. You're always trying to get into what the passion of that kid is and then try to bring that to the forefront and sell a school on that. I like that. I used to, I used to like doing that and, uh, and it worked. And so, you know, I not only had basketball going, I liked that side of it too. You know, I wasn't just a basketball coach. I was doing more than that. And, I, and that appealed to me. Did you ever consider going to another high school? No, I had, I, I did have opportunities for that too. And, uh, I, I told father her early on that I, it, it, I would never coach at another high school. Mm -hmm. You know, if I moved, it would be to a college, uh, situation. It wasn't going to be to another high school. Did have some opportunities in the Toledo and Cincinnati Catholic leagues, you know, to, to put an application in it. And every once in a while school would come forward at, you know, a bigger school, you know, a division one school. And, uh, but I was never, I, it never occurred to me, especially after I'd been there for a while, I wasn't going to leave LCC for another high school job. And I'm glad I didn't. It was, it was a good ride. Yeah. It was great. It was a great school to coach. Speaking of high school coaching, how'd you deal with parents? Cause at the college level, it's really not much of an issue. Uh, most of our recruits were from quite a distance away. The parents that were close and came were terrific. They were good, but the, it's different in high school, isn't it? It, it is, but I was kind of lucky, you know, Joe, I went back to my alma mater. I never intended to go back into my alma mater. I never intended to coach. But once I got there, remember, I, I had eight brothers and a sister. And so that alone, I knew half the, the community. And then I'd been there <laughs> I played, you know, and I knew, you know, people like your brother or your brother and your sister and your family. And so I knew a lot of people. And so I think a lot of people gave me a pass and uh, I did have, you can take coaches at the high school level and sit them around the table and have them tell you parent stories and they've all got them. And uh, so I, you know, it wasn't like I got a pass on that. There were times when I had to deal with upset parents and, uh, but not as much as most people because I was, you know, in the community. I mean, people, respected me they they knew me they knew my family and so i think if i had come in from the outside and you know didn't have those kind of connections i think it would have been tougher and then as i stayed there you know and after you're there for 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and, and then people are just very reluctant to come and give you grief for anything and so i kind of was lucky that way but i did have to deal with parents i was very honest with them i was never afraid to tell uh, a parent, your kid's just not good enough. You know, I mean, he, he's not, he, he's not playing for a reason. You know, he's not because these people are better are, you know, it, that kind of a, a relationship. I, I often used to say that uh, an athlete should really seriously consider going one level below where they think they should play and two levels below where their old man thinks they should play. And there's a lot of <laughs> You know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Garth used to say that all the time at Garth, you know, at, at camp, he'd have all these great players and he'd have them in the gym 
And it, the first thing, and, and he'd come out there, and that's the first thing he'd say. He'd, he'd say, go one level below where you think he should play and two where your old man thinks he should play. And, you know, that's actually a pretty damn good rule of thumb, Joe. It is. I, that was one of my frustrations at uh, Benedictine. You know, we were pretty much the, the bottom of the rung when it comes to college basketball uh, when I went back to coach, you know, not when I was playing there. I mean, back then, the NAI was unbelievable, 500 and some teams and all the blacks in the South who couldn't play at the Division One level were playing NAI basketball. So, but when I went back to coach, it was totally different. So we're down here at the bottom rung and trying to go to the local high schools, especially, and talk to them about our program. And you just got the roll of the eyes, you know, yeah. when you start talking to them or a lot of times, even the parents, you talk to them and they just weren't interested. Right. Extremely, extremely frustrating yeah. because we had a good product, you know, and the bottom line is none of these kids are gonna play it professionally. Mm -hmm. What a great education to help get it paid for, gee. Uh, which kind of leads me into the next question. Uh, what type of support did you get from the LCC administration? Uh, I, I talk in the book about how difficult it was for me when I first came in because Benedictine at the time was not in great financial condition. Hadn't been for a while. They started getting better right before I got there, but uh, they just didn't have hardly any resources. So the support that I got, uh, got, got a lot of good moral support, <laughs> but that was about it. How about LCC? Well, high school is going to be a lot different from college. The budget at a college university with travel and, and, you know, everything from feeding athletes to housing athletes and trying to figure out your scholarships, trying to divide them in such a way that you can get more athletes and use the, you know, use their financial aid package to help, you know, the scholarship thing. I, I think that that whole thing is, is, I don't know how you guys do it at the college level, I really don't. I had great support from, from the administrations that I had. Father Herr was a big supporter. He's the one that actually talked me into coaching in the first place, I wasn't gonna do it. And uh, so he supported me, but he was involved, if you recall. Oh yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, he got too involved our, our sophomore year. He went through some coaches. In fact, I think Don Lane left largely because of Father Herr's over-involvement in the program. Yeah. And uh, and my first year at Alignment Central Catholic, I played, uh, I coached under a guy named Joe Gottfried, who ended up going from uh, Alignment Central Catholic to coaching at Ashland University. He had some great teams. And then Gail Sayers hired him at Southern Illinois to coach basketball. And uh, then he ended up as the athletic director at South Alabama for 25, 35 years. Wow. He was great, but he only stayed one year, Joe Fisher senior year. And I think a lot of it was kind of a clash there. And all the coaches up to my time, I think had a little bit of a rub, but the year I took over, Father Hurt had a heart attack. Oh. And it, in like November. And so my first year, I always said I was the first guy that pretty much was on my own. I didn't have to worry about, you know, any kind of a, a father coming in and you know how he was, he could come in and, and stir the, you know, stir the drink. And so, but he was very good. And, and the, the second administrator I paid for was a guy from Delta St. John's, Dan Rupert, who 
Oh, Danny. Uh, he's also a former basketball player and coach. And he was, you know, he understood what it was going to take and what it, so I never felt like I didn't have complete support from my administration and they went out of their way if I needed something to give it to me. And, uh, so I, I had, but I had, I know coaches who were caught in difficult situations with administrations where you hear these terrible stories about, you know, somebody's on the board of education and their son is not playing. That's a very real dynamic in high school. And over the years, I've seen that happen about five or 10 times to pretty good coaches who ended up losing jobs because they didn't keep somebody happy that had nothing to do with basketball and they weren't allowed to coach like they should have. But I, I feel like I was lucky. It's another reason why I stayed there is because I, you know, I had complete control of it. Yeah, that's great. You know, early in our visit here, I talked about six final fours and uh, losing five games by eight points. Can you talk about those, the feelings that you had you know, because they were spread out. They weren't in consecutive years. They were right. spread out. And how hard it would be to continually, you know, achieve what you achieved and then have a heartbreaking loss. How'd you, how'd you come back from that? Well, we, we went to state six times in four decades. And we lost five games, and uh, including two state championships. And all of them came down to the last play of the game or we either had to stop somebody from scoring or we had to score ourselves and we didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were all good games. We didn't play poorly, but it was hard because first of all, you know, when you're a coach, you can't, you can't win a bunch of games by yourself. I mean, players win games. Right. And players in critical moments and game time decisions down with the clock down, to, you know, going down to zero. A lot of times it's not some great play. It's some great player making a play. Okay. But in a close game, you want to think as a coach, you can inject yourself. Right. So, you know, every coach says, that. well, here I am on the biggest stage in the state of Ohio. And I, I, in five times, I couldn't do that. And so it was very, and, 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 you know, half of the crowd there, you know, they fill up the old St. John's arena that was always sold out. And even the Schottenstein center that they play at now that it fills up. Well, half the crowd is high school coaches who come down there for that week. And so you're, you know, you're falling over in front of all these coaches are up there going, well, why do you do this? Or why do you, so it really was difficult, but I had always picked up on the, you know, when I talk to teams and coaches and, and clinics and everywhere, you know, I talk about the, the idea of resiliency, which was something that Father Herr used to stress a lot when he was a, a you know, principal at Central Catholic. You know, the, the whole idea of, of rebounding, you know, getting knocked down, but getting back up, that being made stronger by the blow that cuts you down. Um, that, that, that philosophy was ingrained in me. And so, and I used to tell my kids when we'd lose a game, I would say, you better be hurting like I'm hurting. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. And I would look at the schedule and see who we're playing, you know, and I'd say, they're in trouble because we're getting up. And, and I've learned over my career that you never wanna play a great team after they've been beat. And so I would drum that into my team. You know, that when we lose, we're coming back. 
well, it would be the last game of the season, but that was kind of my mentality that I taught the kids. And I said, well, I'm just going to have to practice that. And so we would come back, you know, and we would get into these games and some of them are famous now. Uh, I mean, really famous games in the history of Ohio that we, we lost in some unusual fashion. You can take any college coach, any high school coach, sit them down and they will tell you some ridiculous stories, crazy stories about how they lost the game or how they won a game. But we, we were winning close games to get to state. Our, one of my years, we, we won four straight one-point games during the tournament until we got down to state and then it turned around. So down at state, we were having trouble. But the one that people talk about was in 19, in early 90s, when we played a, an Amish team from uh, a, a Holmes County, Ohio, which is an Amish county. And they had an Amish team come down there. Well, you know, the, the, the parking lot at St. John's Arena was filled with cars and buggies. And you would think, you know, so it was a great story. Plus the coach of this team called Berlin Highland was an African-American and Catholic. And he told me before the game that he was the only African-American and the only Catholic in Holmes County. And he was coaching their team. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, we'll, we'll kick these guys or Amish. Well, I can tell you what they can play. We had a seven point lead with 35 seconds left on the clock and we lost the game. Now, I won't go through how we did that, but it, it, I mean, it had a little help. But I mean, it was just a terrible, in fact, it was so bad, I called the timeout with that 35 seconds left. And all our fans left because they knew we were going to win the game. And they ran over to the next door where they were giving the tickets out. And they knew if they got in line early, they'd have a better seat for the state championship game the next day. All the coaches left. Oh. When, when this comeback was done, it was done in, basically in front of an empty crowd. And oh. Everybody wanted to know what, what the hell happened. So we lose this game. And uh, it was kind of like the beginning of that. And then we, I don't know. I'll tell you something else that happened there. When that season was over, I used to go uh, to a clinic every spring. And that year I said, I'm going to go as far as I can get. I, I'm going to go as far out of Ohio as I can. I don't want to be any, because, you know, all these coaches knew me. They, I didn't want to ask, you know, answer questions. So I find one up in northern Michigan where the guy named Meyer, Don Meyer. Oh, who the was best coach ever. Clinician. And he would do a, a one-man show for a weekend. And we'd come around our area about once every four or five years. So I saw he was right in northern Michigan. I said, I'm going to go up there. So I drive up to Northern Michigan on a Friday night, way north of Detroit. And I'm in there and I'm at the top row of the bleachers. It's filled with coaches, college coaches too, because he was an extraordinary clinician. He, and he comes out and I'm looking around, I don't know anybody. I'm like, this is where I wanna be. <laughs> he comes out, swear to God, he introduces himself. The first thing out of his mouth is, did you hear about this game in Ohio? This coach had a seven point lead with 35 seconds, he loses the game. And I'm sitting up there and I'm going, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I drive all the way up here. And, and so I, I, you know, so he says, well, how would you like to be that coach to make a comeback like that? And then he says, how'd you like to be the coach that loses that game? How'd you like to have to face that music? And, you know, and it was a good message. And after, you know, at the break, I walked down to Don. And uh, I didn't know I had never met him before, and, I, and they were all getting donuts and stuff. And I walked over to him, and I said, hey, coach. And he said, oh, where are you from? I said, well, I'm the guy. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, I'm the guy. He goes, well, that's great. You must feel good. I said, no, 
I'm the guy lost. <laughs> so he was great. He couldn't have been nicer. In fact, I hung, I, I kind of hung with him that night and the next night, had a few beers and got to know him a little bit. But you can't, you can't run away from it, Joe. And it, we ended up losing some more games. And that game actually became the subject of a, a Reader's Digest story. You know, they wrote a story about it in the Reader Digest. And in that story, I became kind of like a villain because <laughs> I came out. And they, there's actually a, a Hollywood script going around about that, that people are pushing. And, and my assistants all joked to me that if they ever did do that thing in, you know, in Hollywood and made it out of the movie, I'd be played by Kramer, you know, from Seinfeld. <laughs> I would be the idiot that had to call a timeout with us. You know what I mean? So you just have to, you have to embrace the loss. We went back, we kept going back down, kept losing in unusual fashions, you know, all the last, last play of the game. And Joe, even the state championship game that we won in my last game came down to the last shot. They all came down to the last shot. It's just amazing. It changed, it turned, we won, you know. So the, the gods of basketball said, we're gonna give this guy a break. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take him right to the end, but we're going to give him a break. Oh, that's great, Bobby. I think we're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about Jamie, your beloved wife, uh, yep. high school sweetheart, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how she fit into this picture. Because it's a difficult position to be the spouse of a coach, in my opinion, and my wife's opinion. So uh, take a little break and come back. Okay, Joe. Thanks, Bob.